Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. And now, back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time, 6.05 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I've got three lines open. one 367 if you want to call and chime in on our on our topic, how to maintain a balanced view as a Christian in this very culturally uh, charged world in which we live, where politics seems to be the second breath that Christians breathe. Uh, and and uh, as a consequence, uh, biblical truth is often obscured or uh, taken captive um, by uh, American Christians. And so, uh, again, the lines are open, one 329 Before I go to the lines, as you are calling, I just want to share just a, a bit of a word for you. I was We were talking with Allure, I believe, who gave a very eloquent uh, assessment of what she felt uh, was needed <clears throat> in the church today. Uh, I believe that uh, one of the things that God has called us to from the beginning <clears throat> is to win men to Christ, um, to have such a concern about the salvation of men and women that uh, that we become full-grown Christians. And what I mean by that is that we are to be uh, biblical evangelists, We are to be even as our master was. The moment that Christ showed up on the scene after his baptism, after his test in the wilderness, he began to be about his father's business, and that is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And winning souls, uh, that should be the heartbeat of every, every Christian. Every Christian should understand that the biggest issues in his life are not politics. The biggest issues in his life are not uh not who's in the White House or who will be in the White House or who will be impeached or who will be. The biggest issues for Christians should be the salvation of souls. Now, you know, secondarily, it is a wonderful thing if we can have a country, as we do here presently for the time that we do, where we have the freedom to preach the gospel. But the church has never, ever had to wait for freedom to preach the gospel to preach the gospel just never has had to wait for uh, the government to give it approval to be Christian in order to be Christian. This is one of the things I think we've forgotten. I think that we have fallen prey to the, uh, you know, there's a battle called white privilege that has been uh, seeping into the evangelical church as well uh, when it is part of the cultural uh, historical uh, aberration of Christian triumphalism, particularly on, on the part of a, a European uh, history, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, white privilege becomes one of the markers by which a social justice warrior will uh, take to task Caucasians who have lived in the privilege of a, a dominant or, or superior position culturally when others have had to take a, a, a lower seat. <clears throat> Well, Christians have also had what I call Christian privilege. 
Yep, meaning that as Americans, we have been quite privileged to not have to really deal with uh, the onslaught of an all-out fascist, communist, um, totalitarian uh, state whenever we even just make an allegiance to Jesus, which is what the church has had to deal with for the last 1,985-plus years, um, a lack of Christian privilege. Um, and as such, we're probably weak and probably sloppy and probably, uh, you know, we're probably not well prepared to deal with having to stand and say Jesus is Lord uh, in a culture where uh, one day, and that may very well happen in America, um, and it won't matter whether who's in the White House or not, to be honest with you, we will have to actually uh, have the test of the steel of our faith tried by whether or not we're going to hold to Jesus if we have to go to jail for it. We're going to hold to Jesus if we have to go to jail over uh, gender identity issues. We hold to Jesus if we have to go to jail over same-sex marriage. If we uh, hold to Jesus if we have to go to jail over the spectrum of the LGBT community and their their agenda to uh, uh, obliterate any kind of Christian opinion about the synthetic nature of uh, of gender as it's actually proliferating all around the world. The Christian church um, uh, has to deal with all of that at some point in time. And right now we're a bit distracted by politics, and I call that Christian privilege. We want to talk about white folks having white privilege. Be sure to know that American Christians have Christian privilege. In the moment that somebody <clears throat> looks at us left-sided or right-sided or lopsided, uh, we, 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 can be, we can be quite intimidated. Well, the early church had to deal with it. I've got a group of men that I'm training right now theologically and preparing them uh, to take measures of growth in their uh, in their in, in their calling. They're testing their calling, and we're dealing with evangelism, and we're dealing with apologetics, and we're dealing with uh, sound hermeneutics and sound homiletics in preparation to share the gospel. Because ultimately, we should all be uh, hermeneutically sound, hermeneutics and homiletics, hermeneutically sound as men and women ready to share the gospel everywhere we possibly can. And one of the most sobering works that can be read around the winning of souls, as the proverb puts it, he that winneth souls is wise. So when the church is, you know, doing the healthy thing of self-criticism, which is what Allura uh, called about in some case, and what I do on this Monday program frequently, when we're doing the healthy self-criticism analysis, one of the things we have to ask is, are we really about our father's business or are we distracted by the dialectical process of the left and right argument of politics? Do we do we really have a love for the lost? Do we really understand that full grown Christianity is about evangelism and, and living in such a way as to look for an opportunity to share the gospel with every creature? That really is the germane question of the day. I, I can assure you that the mandate that our sovereign Lord gave us will not go unheeded when we have to face him. According to first John chapter three, will we face him in shame or will we face him in confidence? 
because we are about our master's business. And so as we are, as I'm helping train these young men in a healthy, robust evangelism that's able to actually get at the heart of the matter, Mr. Charles Haddon Spurgeon has a fabulous work called The Soul Winner. What is it to win a soul? You talk about the qualifications for soul winning Godwardly and then the qualifications for soul winning manwardly. And then he would expand on that eloquently. And I want to just share a little bit of it with you just to kind of uh, bring us into a sphere of understanding more deeply the importance of the opportunity that we have on, even on this program. It's 613. I'm going to go to to our break and. uh and then I'll take your phone calls again. Three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Mr. Spurgeon says a sinner has a heart as well as a head, and he's been uh, detracting superficial evangelism for eight pages now. He says a sinner has a heart as well as a head. A sinner has emotions as well as thoughts, and we must appeal to both. He says. A sinner will never be converted until his emotions are stirred. Unless he feels sorrow for sin. Unless he has some measure of joy in the reception of the word. You cannot have much hope of him. The truth must soak into his soul and dye it with its own color. The word must be like a strong wind sweeping through the whole heart. And swaying the whole man, even as a field of ripening corn waves in the summer breeze. Religion without emotion is a religion without life. But still, we must mind how these emotions are caused. Do not play upon the mind by exciting feelings which are not spiritual. Some preachers are very fond of introducing funerals and dying children into their discourses, and they make the people weep through sheer natural affection. This may lead up to something better, but in itself, what is its value? What is the good of opening up a mother's grief or a widow's sorrow? I do not believe that our merciful Lord has sent us to make men weep over their departed relatives by digging up new graves and rehearsing past scenes of bereavement and woe. Why should he? It is granted that you may profitably employ the deathbed of a departing Christian or of a dying sinner for proof of the rest of faith in the one case and the terror of conscience in the other, but it is out of the fact proved and not out of the illustration itself that the good must arise. Natural grief is of no service in itself. Indeed, we must look upon it as a distraction from higher thoughts and as a price too great to exact from tender hearts unless we can repay them by engrafting lasting spiritual impressions upon the stock of a natural affection. It was a very splendid oration full of pathos, says one who heard it. Yes, but what is the practical outcome of this pathos, a young preacher once remarked. Were you not greatly struck to see so large a congregation weeping? Yes, said his judicious friend, but I was more struck with the reflection that they would probably have wept more at a play. Exactly so. And the weeping in both cases may be equally valueless. Spurgeon says, I saw a girl on board of a steamboat reading a book and crying as if her heart would break. But when I glanced at the volume, 
or the book, I saw that it was only one of those silly yellow-covered novels which load our railway bookstores. Her tears were a sheer waste of moisture, and so are those which are produced by mere pulpit tale-telling and deathbed painting. If our hearers will weep over their sins, and after Jesus let their tears flow in rivers, but if the object of their sorrow is merely natural and not at all spiritual, what good is done by setting them to weeping? There might be some virtue in making people joyful, for there is sorrow enough in the world. And the more we can promote cheerfulness, the better. But what is the use of creating needless misery? What right have you to go through the world pricking everybody with your lancet just to show your skill in surgery? A true physician only makes incisions in order to effect cures, and a wise minister only excites painful emotions in men's minds with the distinct objective of blessing their souls. You and I must continue to drive at men's heart till they are broken. And then we must keep on preaching Christ crucified till their hearts are bound up. And when this is accomplished, We must continue to proclaim the gospel to their whole nature until their whole nature is brought into subjection to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in these preliminaries, you will be made to feel the need of the Holy Ghost to work with you and by you. But this need will be still more evident when we are advanced a step further and speak of the new birth itself in which the Holy Spirit works in a style and a manner most divine. I have already insisted upon instruction and impression as most needful to soul winning, but these are not at all. They are indeed only means to the desired end. A far greater work must be done before man is saved. A wonder of divine grace must be wrought upon the soul, far transcending anything which can be accomplished by the power of man. Mr. Spurgeon is teaching his students about what it really takes to see a soul truly converted versus often what goes on in the superficial efforts and the fleeting efforts of preachers today and churches today that really don't understand that in order for a man or woman to be saved, they must be truly, truly, truly born again. Listen, I'm going to take a break. I've got three lines open, one 367 one love to hear from you. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are back. The time 624, and there are three lines open, one 367 If you want to reach yours truly, if you've got a question or an issue that you want to field and... Uh, and have discussed. I'd be glad to hear from you. one 367 329 is the number to reach me. Let me go to line number two and talk with Mark. Mark, your observation about uh, the presidency. Well, my observation about Elijah Cummings is he's burning in hell, and I can't help but wonder if Feinstein and Gavin Newsom are not soon to follow. Now, he that rules must be just, ruling in the fear of God, and that's a must. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, Jesse, that it is of the Lord's mercies that we, you and me, and everyone else on the face of the earth are not consumed by the fire of God's wrath. Okay, That's a fact. All of us deserve death for our sins, and Elijah Cummings succumbed to the wages of his sins without having received the gift of God. Uh, but, you know, ladies you and know? gentlemen, 
I because I listened to that fool. He lived as a fool. He died as a fool. How do you know he died out. as a fool? I know he died as a fool. Were you at his deathbed? I he's burning it out. Were you at his deathbed? No, I was not at his deathbed. You were not. You were not there when his conscious soul crossed over from death into eternity. Right. So. I've got three lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'm gonna take an opportunity to expand on this particular topic right here, if you guys want that. As a pastor, uh, as well as a Bible teacher, a Bible expositor, as well as a, a trembling Christian soul wanting to see God's face in the person of Jesus. Uh, with a smile, I definitely want Christ to say to me, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, the very subject matter that you heard momentarily ago by an unwise professing Christian in Mark Trout deserves some commentary. That's why I challenged him and he hung up. He might call back, but he hung up. And I'll help you with this, too, because of the pastoral uh, uh, element in my life. Uh, pastoral meaning to feed the sheep. Uh, but it does have the practical component of recognizing that when a pastor is operating fully in his gifting, he is dealing with life. He is dealing with the struggles of life. He is dealing with the triumphs of life. He is dealing with spiritual issues. He's dealing with practical issues. He's dealing with uh, parents that celebrate the birth of a child, parents that celebrate the marriage of their children, couples that celebrate um the salvation of their kids, et cetera, et cetera, from the womb to the tomb, the uh, the pastor has to be equipped unto every good work. Uh, and so we have to deal with the whole spectrum of life. And one of the areas in which our theology has to be absolutely sober is in the area of God's sovereignty and sphere of exclusive control. So when we go to talking about things that we cannot possibly have any authoritative assertion for. In fact, when we call other people fools, we're actually demonstrating that we are fools ourselves. So for everyone in the listening audience, let me let me help you avoid a very tragic, foolish assumption. And that foolish assumption would be that you would be able to actually certify the state of an eternity bound soul departing from this world into eternity that you would. How foolish is it for those of us who are confined in a physical body with limited capacities, both spiritually and physically and sensibly to assert that we would be able to know what transpires within the framework of the exigency, the urgency, the finiteness of a person's period of transition. We all would agree that people die. We'd all would agree that the period of death remains a mystery to us in terms of the process of death. It would be it would be a measurable, uh, uh, incredible assumption if Elijah Cummings or anyone else that you don't like and you don't care for their policies or don't care for their conduct or don't care for uh, a lot of what went on in that person's life. He was on the left, so I don't have a whole lot of 
you know, admiration for his policies. But I do respect the fact that Elijah Cummings had a major, major uh, participation in civil rights movement and many things with which he was driven by his civil rights experience, impressions, et cetera, to do what he did in terms of becoming a public servant. Beyond a public servant, he was a human. He was created in the Imago Dei, as you and I are. And according to the Bible, we are to love our fellow man because he is created in the Imago Dei. He is the visible image of the invisible God, as I am and as Mark is. So we get stupid as Christians. This is what I meant by Christian privilege. Some of you guys will get that. Christian privilege will have you saying things that are just so diabolically unbiblical, so diabolically demonic, um, just because we are blinded by Christian privilege. There are some countries and some places that you talk about folks, kinfolk like that, and you'll disappear. You just will disappear. After all, God calls all godly men to be sober-minded and to be uh, discreet in the words that they use. Um, we need to be extremely sober at how we talk. The matter of people's deaths, I'm frequently asked this question, <clears throat> how can we tell if our loved one died in Christ or not? Well, we can have uh, minimal measures of hope about that if they live a relatively aberrant life, hostile life, rejecting Jesus Christ. We can we can break with sorrow over the fact that we never ever saw a real conversion. We never ever saw a a, 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 a transformation of the likes that I was going to read. Maybe we'll be able to do it before we close out in terms of Spurgeon's affirming what legitimate conversion is, and not just accepting Jesus into your heart or saying the prince. Prayers much more radical, much more profound, much more divinely interventional than that kind of superficial thing. However, even if we don't see the overt expression of a verbal confession that Jesus is Lord, it may very may very well be still that in the heart, which is where salvation occurs, according to Romans ten, for man believeth out. In the heart and confession audibly is made unto salvation. That is, he affirms with his words what is taking place in the heart. Now, you and I do know that you can say with words things that have no actual corresponding value to the heart. You can be a hypocrite. One can. We are diabolical creatures. But it is very possible, ladies and gentlemen, that when you have a loved one who goes through the passage of uh, unconsciousness or suffering in preparation to die with uh, uh, a stroke or go into a coma or comatose state or is in the throes of those uh, those those chattel breaths that 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 we call certainly the 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 breath of death. It is certainly possible that within the framework of that period of time where they lose consciousness with us. That the true and the living God can bring back, usher back every time that individual within the scope of the totality of their life ran across a gospel preacher, ran across a Christian who told them about Jesus, taught them about Jesus. It is totally possible within the scope of the great high priest, Jesus Christ, whoever lives to make intercession for those who come to him by faith, to be able to take an individual who is now laying on their deathbed. 
and bring back all of the merciful events in their life from childhood to adulthood before they became too smart for God. It is totally possible for God to usher in all of the data that they have lodged way deep down in their psyche to the forefront while there is no uh, no no other group of people able to be a participant in that particular viewing, that forum. That forum is between that soul and its maker. That forum is between the man on the cross and the thief on the left and the thief on the right and nobody else knowing that conversation but Jesus and that thief. And we're all thieves. And yet the only person that we have to worry about as to knowing where we are in that state of transition is God himself. And I assure you that according to the word of God, God is the one there. Jesus gave us the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. There's no doubt about it that God is going to meet men and women. Prepare to meet your God if you should get hit by a car and and people and, and then die. Be, be prepared to meet your God. Be very sure that time is going to move from that linear, chronological, progressive development that you and I know in these finite minds into an expanse of eternal consciousness where with time no longer takes on the kind of rushed sense that you and I have. And as many people on the brink of dying and have come back plainly said, the whole of their life passed before their eyes. The whole of their life in a nanosecond. This is because time is made by God. Eternity is the essence of who God is. The sphere and rim of God is eternal. The sphere and rim of where we are going in terms of our long home is of God. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are the byproducts of the direct breath of God Almighty. He made man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You will you will return to God who made you while your body goes to the the dust. No doubt about that. But no one can certifiably affirm or deny whether or not God intercepts and intervenes and intercedes into the life of a soul before they transition permanently so as to be able to say, I know he died with his fist in God's faith and he breathed his last breath saying no to God is possible. Impossible, I suppose. That if you just have one of those absolute reprobates that God has given up on and he there are a few in the world where that individual is breathing his last breath while he is struggling with the grim reaper and is just saying to hell with God, to hell with God. And he dies in that nanosecond. But even then, in that nanosecond, I would assert to you, Christian, be extremely reverential and careful not to steal God's glory. Don't you act like. You sit at God's elbow and dictate who passes into the kingdom and who doesn't. Don't you act like you know something that only God knows. Don't you act like Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 doesn't exist. The secret things belong unto the Lord. But the things that he's revealed and given to us are for us and for our children to live by them. God has a secret will. There is no doubt about it in the omniscience of his own providence and his own inscrutable judgment. And there are spaces within the human experience that have no forum for anyone else but God. So when our loved ones are taken into the throes of a sickness and illness, the only thing you and I can ask is this. Did we love them enough to share the gospel with them while they were conscience? 
we loved them enough to make sure they knew that we were praying for them in terms of them recognizing the glory of God in the person of Christ while they were conscious. We love them enough to invite them to church. Did we love them enough to invite them to Bible study? Did we love them enough to invite them to prayer service? Do we love them enough to share the word of God with them? This is going back to my fundamental argument that we can get distracted by politics while men and women are perishing every day. And then my ignorant brother is going to call and talk about being at the elbow of God when nobody's at the elbow of God, but God, not even the angels. In fact, they wouldn't even dare bring a railing accusation against the eternity-bound soul created in the image of God. They're still scratching their head wondering, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you should visit him? Why are you so mercifully involved in intricately related to humanity to such a degree that you would take on a human nature and enter into their plight to redeem their souls from hell as many as would believe on your name? The angels are still scratching their head on that. And here we are, stupid Christians, trying to take on more than we can handle. Now, we already have enough revelation, enough illumination, enough church history, enough doctrine, enough teaching that can, you know, that can actually overwhelm us. We would just get our lives in order. Hopefully we can help some men and some women and some families and some nations avert the calamity of eternal judgment. But this idea of sitting on a bench saying he's in hell, you guys, please disregard what you heard. I'm going to take a break. Got three lines open, one 888 Three lines open, one 888 See, for uh, the caller, Elijah Cummins could have very well been Lazarus, the sore beggar. Everybody thought he was jacked up because in Israel's day, if you were sick, you were cursed. If you were poor, you were cursed. If you were uh, a miserable wretch in the condition that Lazarus was, God didn't smile on you. And if you were rich, you went to church every Sunday. You paid your tithes and you fared well like the Pharisees. Well, everybody knew you went to heaven. You see how we can get it wrong? I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we are back. I've got um, one segment to go. If you want to try to call and chime in, you can. one 367 5329 Yeah. Let me go to line number one and talk with uh, Ellen on line number one. Ellen, what is your question, comment, or observation? Good to hear from you today. Hi, it's so good to talk to you. I tell you, I... I, somehow I always think of music when I, I listen to your show. Now it's like killing me softly. I had a, I had a uh, subject. Which version? I, which version of killing me softly? <laughs> we got the old school version. Then we have the newer version. Was <laughs> there a newer version? I'm talking about Roberta Flack. Is there a newer version? Yeah, girl. It's oh. a newer version by, by oh, hip hop. Oh, oh yeah. No, I know the newer version. Yeah, I, I like I, both I, of them. Yeah, no, I do too. Okay. I do too. Um, uh, no, I, I do know the newer version. me softly with this song. Yeah. Yeah. But, now, now yeah. what's the what's the analogy there? What 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 what, well, what did you I'll, say? I'll tell you why. I, I had a I have a subject. I may help. I have to hold it over till next week, okay. um, because I was on talking to uh, the member of your staff uh, who's taking the call, so I missed Mark, mm-hmm. uh, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to quickly say uh, about Eliza Cummings. I don't. You know, I remember, the last thing I'm going to do is talk about politics right now because mm-hmm. I've had it. 
right at the moment. But um, and I have a lot of thoughts about it, but not not right now. Mm-hmm. But I will say about Elijah Cummings, um, I, his reputation is that he was a very one thing about him. He wasn't a hypocrite, and two of his closest friends are. Republicans were Republicans. Sure. Mark Meadows is one of them. Sure. This is a man who was highly respected, disagree with him or not, one or the other. This is a man, as you said, who was rich with his background and, and the, the, the struggle for, for uh, uh, Afro, African Americans. Yep. This is a man, uh, you know, I, so, so I, I don't know what this guy was saying, Mark. It was but silly. But, well, let me, let me just say this on Mark, and then I'm going to tell you why Killing Me Softly came to mind. Because Mark. And I'm not going to use Mark. I don't want to forget Mark. Anybody, anybody, I don't like to direct anything towards a particular person, but anybody who is going to be presumptuous, arrogant, and proud, prideful enough to say he knows what what went on when someone passes, he's the one that better worry. He better worry. Don't worry about Elijah coming. And God is very clear. He says, I'll save who I want to save. Exactly, just like uh, that. So, you know, I think that whoever, I'm not going to... There are all kind of people who would operate out of that unwise comfort zone. I call it Christian privilege. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and I was very, And I'll get to the killing softly right now, and then maybe I'll get to my other question. But I, I, what you said, I mean, I, I had tears in my eyes. Thank heavens I, I got myself pulled together before I got on the air, because... What you said is so important. If you have family members right now, you have now, I don't at the moment, but um, I lost my parents, uh, you know, in my early 30s, mm-hmm. maybe late 20s, mm-hmm. my brother, uh, and that's, that's pretty much it. And I, I was going through a long-term, uh, you know, uh, uh, my husband, uh, anyway. we divorced, uh, yeah, it's okay. It's no, right. no, it was a, a, what do they call it? I can't even say the word, abusive. And not to say that he was abusive. Anyway, they call it abusive relationship. Sure. Anyway, let's move on. He didn't know his strength. He, I'm little, he was big. Right. Okay, so let's move on with that. But the point is, I wasn't saved. And when, when my family members died, they didn't die altogether, but, you know, my parents a year apart, as so often happens. Sure. People have been married for many years. Yeah. And then my brother, through a, a freak thing, a, you know, tainted blood from Stanford Hospital here in Palo Alto. Yeah. And um, I, I, it, 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 it eats away at me daily. Yeah. And I try to put it out because I didn't, I didn't know the right. truth. Right. And I couldn't. So if anybody's listening, I am pleading with you, don't waste a minute. Yep. You go and talk to whomever, I don't care if it's someone on the street, you, you, you get that word out there. Yep. Because it is, it is my big regret, it, it, I can't even tell you, Pastor Jesse. And I love what you said, we don't know, we don't yep. know what takes place. Nope. I don't know with my parents, my yep. mother and you my don't. father you don't. and my brother. I'm, I'm not as, as enlightened, apparently, as Mark. Right. Sorry, I didn't. I had right. to get that in. Right. But anyway, um, sorry. That that's that's forgive me, Father. That it's was painful. Really that's right. Yeah. Okay. It's painful. Um, but anyway, it, 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 just do it because it's it. You you don't want to live with that. Anyway, I think I I I think I. Made well, that. it's a really good point. It's a really good point, and it's an important corollary, and that's the reason why I took up making. A comment on it and not letting letting it slide because we do not often think about 
um, failed opportunities and failed opportunities with neighbors, failed opportunities with coworkers, failed opportunities with friends, especially failed opportunities with, with family members. We don't think about the impact of that until afterwards. And then afterwards, it all depends on who we are, um, Ellen, as to whether or not uh, lost opportunities can can really grate at our soul in ways that can be that can be painful. I, I I would say that if we could avoid neglecting the important conversations with people that we say we love, then we should because our consciences are sensitive and they they do have to work through the implications of us having been careless with individuals uh, like you are stating. And uh, subsequent to that, the reason why I had to intercept Mark's foolishness was because it's important for us all to know that there is a sphere of responsibility or accountability on our part that only goes to a certain limit. Beyond that limit, we are inadvertently playing God, which neither which we neither have a right to do. Nor is it profitable. So I frequently am dealing with uh, believers who want to be sad and heartbroken and and bent out of shape by the fact that their loved one died um, as if somehow a postmortem grief uh, sustained sorrow can somehow merit something for either the lost loved one or themselves when neither is true. When you properly comprehend both the grace of God and the wisdom of God. And this is where I have to snatch the gospel out of the hands of works, religion, across the board, Catholicism and all of it, because it pushes us into realms and dimensions of of thought about the mystical component of of transition and the. um and the right and prerogative of a holy God to to execute justice in that season. When we are way over into that rim thinking that I could have done something about it, I could have done something about it, I could have done something about it. The only thing that you and I could have done is what we may should have done when we had opportunities with them on a conscious level. But the fact of the matter is we will all regret never ever having done enough of anything at any any time in our lives that would uh, that that would uh, merit the uh, confidence. Uh, all right, Lord, I did it all, and so I'm, I'm, I'm you know I'm ready to lay down on my deathbed with a clear conscience. None of us have that kind of earnest, uh, conscientious testimony. There is all kind of stuff that we're leaving undone. Hence, the grace of God in Jesus Christ has to be fully grasped by every believer so as to understand that his grace covers what we do and his grace covers what we don't do. His grace covers what we succeed in and his grace covers what we fail to because he's God's not stupid to leave critically eternal matters solely in the hands of his fickle people. He's going to save his people. He's going to save whom he wants to save, when he wants to save them. And one of the things I am absolutely positive is that in the day of revelation and righteous judgment of God, there will be gazillions of people from the beginning of time to the end of time for whom God in his merciful redemptive purposes in Jesus will have saved and snatched out of the jaw of death that most of us were not consciously aware of. There's a lot of work that God is doing by his people and through his people that often does not go um, 
detected by virtue of fruit and evidence in this life. In other words, just like the husbandman plows in faith, so the children of God plow in faith. We sow in faith. God gets the glory in the increase of souls being converted, in the increase of men and women being regenerate. Whether it's in this life where we get to rejoice with them in a physical manifestation of their conversion, or in the last struggling weeks, in last struggling months, in last struggling days, in last struggling hours, God had used somebody to sow the gospel into their heart and then quickens that word and brings them to a state of recognizing they are about to meet their maker and the Bible floods back into their mind and Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so becomes the epitome of absolute wisdom for them and their heart breaks and they say yes to Christ a lot of that kind of reality will manifest itself on the last day for those of us who sit Simply did what we could in simply making sure that we are part of gospel churches, part of the Christian church's objective and call to share the gospel. The gospel goes out, Ellen, on radio. It goes out on Internet. It goes out on iPod. It goes out in literature. It goes out in song. Thank God that we're able to allow the odor and aroma and fragrance and incense of biblical truth to permeate the airwaves and permeate the atmosphere because God and his spirit is able to take the seed of the gospel and sow it into men's hearts simply because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and God alone gets the glory in the soul for whom that word penetrates the heart and changes the lives. I don't save anybody. You don't save anybody. God does all the saving. He uses people, but I'm thankful that he often uses us without letting us know it. So if a person happens to pass on our watch, the only thing that we can hope for is that they were born in America, are born in the region of the world where the gospel's preached, are born in a Christian family, are born in an area where they had to hear the word from a co-worker or hear the word from a schoolmate or to hear the word hither and there. And the inference in that as we close out today is we better continue to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature under heaven uh, until the end comes so that God has the cap- capacity by that feeble work that we do only by his grace and making sure that all for whom Christ died ends up in heaven with him. For which we say, except for the grace of God, there go I as well. God bless you guys. Until next time, keep your eyes on the one who is most lovely, even Jesus Christ himself. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.